Well, it's a new year, and uh, for those that may have been expecting a, a New Year's message, um, may or may not be disappointed. Um, but God's Word, God's Word is relevant every day, and I couldn't think of a, a more appropriate time uh, to continue our study of James as we, um, as we seek to start this new year, how practical James is, how, how he, does, he just doesn't beat around the bush at all, does he? I mean, he just gets right at it, and he gets right in your face, and uh, he, just, he just says it the way it is. And uh, I, I appreciate that about James. Um, but I'll let you know, as a, as a pastor, as, as someone who has to get up and, and speak, um, sometimes that's, that's difficult. But, but this last song that we sang, um, the, very, the very last verse of that song kind of gave me a little bit of peace. I'll be honest with you, I was a little... Um, I've been a little anxious about this message today, um, just because of the way the Lord led me. But this is what that last verse says. We are called to be God's prophets, speaking for the truth and right, standing firm for godly justice, bringing evil into light. Let us seek the courage needed, our high calling to fulfill, that we all may know the blessing of doing God's will. And so, I thank the Lord for that song because that gave me, um, he gave me what I needed. So, with that, we're going to go ahead and, and get in today's, today's message. So, we're, like I said, going to be going back into to James uh, today. Um, I want to start with this, this story. From the Andy Griffith Show. How many remember Andy Griffith? Yeah, most of us. Even if you weren't alive to watch the show at the, you know, when it was airing, you know, you watched the reruns. Well, I want to recount an episode. It was called Opie's Newspaper. Opie's Newspaper. You remember? Oh, see? Okay, she's already ahead of me then, all right? <laughs> no spoilers, all right? So, for those who didn't see that episode... Opie's friend Howie received a small printing press for a gift. And so the boys decided that they were going to go into the newspaper business. And pretty soon they, they, they produced their first issue. They called it the Mayberry Sun. But the boys found themselves pretty soon business was pretty slow. And it seems that the newspaper was full of information about their class at school because that's what they knew about and so that's what they wrote about they wrote about what was going on in their class so so as they evaluated things and how that first episode that that first uh, edition didn't go over that well they they saw some advice and so they went to Andy and, and Barney for some advice and of course Barney being the the fountain of wisdom that he was he uh he gave them some advice, and he said they, they need to widen their scope to attract more readers. They needed to, to write about things that people want to read about. And so Opie and 
Howie decided to check out the real Mayberry paper to get some ideas on how they could approve theirs. And after reading through some, some sections, they, they came across a pretty interesting one. Pretty interesting one. It was called Mayberry After Midnight. Ooh, it was the gossip column. So Opie and Howie had an aha moment. They decided if they were going to be successful, that they, need, they needed some of that in their paper too. So they put on their reporter hats. They set out to gather as many exclusive stories as they could. And fortunately, or, or unfortunately, as, as uh, you may look at it, there was no shortage of that kind of news around Mayberry or any small town, right? And Opie and Howie collect all this information for their second edition. This is going to be one improved Mayberry Sun. And the boys were excited to share their, their new edition. Barney and Andy and Aunt B are all at the tailor's kitchen when, when Opie delivers that second issue of the paper. And at first, no one notices anything wrong. And they, they compliment the boys on their hard work and their effort. Good job, boys. But just as Opie is getting ready to leave, Barney notices a headline. Barney Fife says Sue Grisby's blonde comes from a bottle. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Then they start to notice a few more headlines just like it. Oh, no. This is going to be bad. And so they scramble to retrieve all the newspapers before it's too late. Fortunately, Andy and, and the others are, to, are able to gather them up before anyone has a chance to, to read what was printed. That is, except for the preacher. Andy gets there just a little bit too late. And he experiences a, a very awkward moment on the, on the preacher's porch. The preacher shows him a, a particularly interesting article he just read. And it contains a, a quote, a comment from Andy about a dry-as-dust sermon. And, uh, yeah, uh-oh, a little awkward. The irony in the situation is that Andy was actually in the, in the process of giving the, the preacher a compliment when that particular comment slipped out in front of Opie. But that's the quote that ended up in the paper. He was really commenting on how blessed they were to have a preacher like that, but the uplifting comment never made it into the paper. How quick are we to grab on to negative comments? Hmm? How quick are we to grab on to negative comments? And then how quick are we to pass them on to others? You ever notice that? You have to be careful about what you say about other people. Not just because you, will have an, you could have an awkward encounter with them, or maybe, maybe get in trouble with them, but because you may, be, you may get in trouble with God. One of the most repeated commands in the Bible deals with how we speak about others. Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Psalm 101.5, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips. 
and whoever utters slander is a fool. Yet it is perhaps one of the most ignored commands in the Bible. Slander, gossip, and judgment have been problems in relationships for as long as there have been people. One important passage that specifically deals with the the serious sin of slander is found in James chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. That's our scripture for this morning. Here, God warns us to be careful about what we say about each other. So turn with me to to James chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 11 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible right in front of you. It's on page 1291. 1291 of the Pew Bible. God's Word says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy But who are you to judge your neighbor? So chances are your mother warned you about the danger of slander many times as you were growing up. What would she say? What would she say? If you can't can't say anything good about somebody, what? Don't say anything at all, right? But other people are a popular topic of conversation for us. Whether it's people we know personally or or people we just know about. But when you talk about people, James warns us you must keep in mind a very important command of God found in that first sentence. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The Greek word translated speak evil here means to slander, to slander. We may have a, a casual attitude toward it, but it is very destructive. Webster's Dictionary, 1828 edition, defines it as a false tale or report maliciously uttered and tending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens, by exposing him to impeachment and punishment, or by impairing his means of living. Slander strikes at people's dignity. It defames their character and it destroys their reputation. We may speak the truth about a person, but do it with a wrong motive. Or we may spread gossip to others that they have no business knowing. We may be questioning someone's authority, nullifying their good work by backbiting. The important thing to remember is that this, this letter is written to a group of believers. It's written to the church. James is addressing an issue that was happening among believers, a practice that was already in progress, according to the verbiage that he uses. It's a practice that is still in progress in the church. Now, obviously, this hurts harmony among believers. Slander should not be part of the church or believer's conduct. James here is concluding the section of Scripture on resolving conflict, conflict within the body of believers. James' message here is to to resolve conflict, stop judging others, submit to God's authoritative word. 
And here he points out, he points out what our slander or judging reveals about us. It reveals what we think of others. It reveals what we think of the law. It reveals what we think of God. It reveals what we think of ourselves. To resolve conflict, stop slandering or judging others. And this command is easy to say. It's easy to state. But it's a, it's a bit more complex to understand. So we need to look carefully to define this sin. Before we look at what slander or judging is, we need to clear up some common misconceptions about it. Some erroneous beliefs of many in the church today. The biblical instruction against slander do not prohibit rebuking those that persist in unrepentant sin. The word judges doesn't refer to evaluation, but condemnation. Speaking evil is speaking unloving, condemning, malicious words about a brother or sister. The idea here is not that you should never say anything negative about anybody, because there are times when problems must be confronted honestly. And that includes legitimate criticism. So, so first, this morning, we're going to look at what slander or judging others does not mean. Before we, before we dive into what it does mean, we're going to look at what it does not mean. Slander or judging is not to be discerning in regard to their character or their teaching. There's hardly any verse in the Bible that is more misunderstood than Jesus' words from Matthew 7.1. Judge not that you not be judged. And there's hardly any verse that is more frequently disobeyed among Christians than that verse. Many people cite Matthew 7.1 about not judging others. They say, well, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Or they'll go, well, who are you to judge? But they never bother to read down to verse 6, where Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus was, was talking about people who are, are dogs and pigs. To obey verse 6, you must, you must make some judgmental decisions about the person's character, about their character. That guy is a dog. That guy is a pig. And if you keep reading Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. See, it takes a discerning sheep to, to recognize that's not a true sheep. That's not a true sheep. That's a wolf dressed like a sheep. That requires judging the man's teaching as false. We live in times when, when tolerance, unity, and, and love, being nice, are dominant themes in the world. It's ever-present in the evangelical church today, but not in a good way. If, we, if you dare confront or expose sin, 
or if you teach or if you label someone's teaching as, as unbiblical or, or a person as a, as a false teacher, <clears throat> you get accused of being judgmental or unloving. But the Bible is clear that a pastor is being extremely unloving to allow wolves to prey on the flock or to allow sinning believers to infect the flock without confronting and exposing them. And that is true for all members of the body. We need to protect the body and its members. Romans 16, 17 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. <clears throat> now some would say, sure. Sure, it's, it's okay to expose the false doctrines in general terms. But you should never criticize or name a a false teacher by name. I've been criticized often over the years for doing that. But 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul mentions that some have rejected faith and a good conscience. And some have made a shipwreck of their faith. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on in verse 20. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In 2 Timothy 2.17, he names Hymenaeus again and Philetus, adding verse 18, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul tells Timothy, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Verse 14, he warns Timothy about Alexander the the coppersmith, who did Paul much harm. In 3 John 9-10, through the apostle love warns the flock about Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, but does not acknowledge our authority. Paul names two quarreling ladies, Eudea and Sintithic, urging them to, to live in harmony in the Lord in Philippians 4.2. Colossians 4.17, he pointedly tells the church in Colossae, say to Archippus, see to it you fulfill your ministry. The point is, Paul named names. Paul named names. The apostle Paul and the other apostles were not in these instances wrongly judging others. They were warning people. They were pointing them out. Look out. Watch out for him. Tell him to stop. So we must conclude that it is not judging someone to exercise discernment about ungodly behavior or false teaching. It is, it is not slander to point out that those that are unrepentant are causing divisions among the body. 
My job as a shepherd is to point out those wolves. So you stay away from them. And I will never, I will never shrink back from that responsibility. For me, not to do that would be a dereliction of my responsibility. That's what God has called me to do as a shepherd. That's what a shepherd does. He protects the flock from wolves, keeps them safe from dangers that they don't know about. I don't judge or condemn them. I judge and I condemn their false teaching. And you need to do the same thing if you're aware of it. It is not judging or slander to speak to someone about their sin or false teaching. I've heard people say, well, I could never confront somebody about their sin. Besides, we're not supposed to judge others, right? Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. We like to, we like to say that verse, but this, this is actually to dodge a, a difficult but loving responsibility. Many, many of you, most of you here today are, are parents. If you see your child about to run in front of a speeding car, you would do everything, everything in your power to warn them, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? If you saw your child getting ready to run in the road, you would warn them. If you see a brother or sister in Christ about to ruin their life by sin, or by believing a false, damnable doctrine. Love should motivate you to do everything possible to warn them. Our text, James, is not being judgmental by confronting this sin in the church. James 5, 19 through 20, he tells us, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, consider this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It is the most loving thing we can do for a brother or sister. To not, to not do it reveals that, that you don't think enough of them to rescue them from something. But, but it must be done properly and with the right heart and the right motive. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, restore him, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. The object is to restore them. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 lays out the proper way to do this. If your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We don't like to do this. We don't like to do that. That's uncomfortable. It should begin in private, unless their their sin is public to start with. The sinning person doesn't listen to you. Take another mature believer with you. Or get someone else who may be able to try to minister to that sinning person. And if they refuse to listen, it may be necessary to tell the entire church to remove them from the fellowship. The general rule, the circle of those who are informed of the situation should be limited to those who can help. Otherwise, it's gossip. Or to those who need to be protected. And the aim should always be to restore the sinning believer. To, re- to protect the church from sin. And to honor God. But it is not judgmental. And it is acting in love to confront sin and false teaching in the church. It is not slander to name those who are unrepentant or causing division in the church either. It is not judging or slander to evaluate spiritual maturity or doctrinal views, especially as it comes to to ministry or, or shepherding purposes. To make wise ministry decisions and to shepherd the flock, you must make judgments about a person's character and doctrinal views. And sometimes you must give your evaluations of others that may be affected by the person's immaturity or unbiblical views. Maybe, maybe they shouldn't be leading that Bible study. Maybe they shouldn't be in this role. Sometimes I've had to tell people that they should not attend another church in town because I know things about that ministry there. And this is not being judgmental. And it is not slander. My motive is to help the person to grow in Christ by avoiding a church where holiness and sound doctrine are not priorities. The same thing goes for books or music or authors or or musicians or, or movies or whatever, curriculum or or study materials. We all have a responsibility to the body to help protect it and its individual members. If you know something, say something. We're one body. We need to look out for one another. That's why I wanted to, to cover the, the misconceptions first. It's not popular to speak about or, or to confront things. It's even more uncomfortable to do it. So we can often take verses, certain verses, and use them as an excuse to not do what we are supposed to do. To not do this when and where necessary reveals what we think. Reveals what we think of others. Do we love them enough to call them out of their sin? Do we regard them as worth saving? 
You say you love your brothers and sisters, then love them. It reveals what we think of the law. Do we regard God's truth as being worth standing up for and defending? Are we willing to to stand up, willing to point out when, when someone misuses it or twists it? Reveals what we think about God. To have a, a high view of God and His authority. Or are we willing to sit back and allow someone to disrespect Him or, or misrepresent Him? Remember the, the story of David and Goliath. Why did David go out there? Because Goliath was, was defaming his God. He was willing to stand up against when nobody else would. Nobody else would stand up against Goliath. But David said, no, you are not going to speak about my God that way. To allow people to teach or believe something false about him. It reveals what we think of ourselves. We are all members of one body. We all have a role a part to play, to support, to keep the body healthy. We live in a a culture and an age hostile to correction. No has become a a four-letter word in the modern vernacular. Our non-Christian friends don't want to be told that their unbelief warrants God's judgment. The world doesn't want to hear that. That's to be expected. But often our our Christian brothers and sisters don't want to be corrected either. And that's sad. Because a gentle rebuke can be good for the soul. Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise of heart will receive correction. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice this word is addressed to brothers. It's those of us who call ourselves Christians who need to closely examine our hearts. This kind of examination is not merely a call to a private, personal introspection. It's a group project. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin, but exhort one another. What you see a brother or sister persisting in a pattern of unbelief, or a pattern that may call into question the genuineness of their faith, you should speak up. It could be your words that the Holy Spirit uses to soften their heart. But lead them into an attitude of repentance. Spare them from God's wrath. Jesus taught us to correct one another because he, he understood the danger of unrepentant sin. Matthew 18, he, he laid out the process. If we love our brothers and sisters, then we will carefully and lovingly point out their sins so they can turn from them. 
Remaining silent in the, in the face of their ongoing rebellion against God is not loving them. It's the opposite. It's like, it's like piling wood in their arms as they're standing in the middle of a burning house. The truth, that truth should make us zealous to speak out, to be in accountability groups where private sins can be addressed, to build relationships where we don't just talk about the weather, but we dig into each other's personal lives. Know this, our words of correction can be very sweet. The very thing God uses to renew the faith of your brother or sister. To call them out of a terrible sin they are in. Warn them of a false belief that could lead them astray. But our words can be unhelpful and hurtful too. And that's when we judge wrongly. We slander them. We're going to talk about that next week. But this week, this week as we start a new year, we have a new opportunity. A new opportunity to be authentic with one another. To love one another enough to have those uncomfortable conversations. To let a brother or sister know when we see them heading the wrong way. To warn them when we see them being drawn to a false teacher. To point out those wolves that are prowling around us. Because, make no mistake, there are wolves all around us. To stand firm on the truth of the gospel. To hold each other accountable to it. To not do this reveals what we think of others. Reveals what we think of God's law, what we think of God himself, what we think of ourselves. As we look forward to a new year, I believe we are looking at the greatest opportunity yet. Opportunities to, to reach individuals, families, and our community with the gospel. We will do this as we stand boldly on the gospel truth. The truth. As we speak the truth in love. The need has never been greater. The need has never been greater. But neither are the opportunities. I look forward to how God will use us individually, collectively, here at Faith Chapel in the new year. As we, as we live out our, our tested faith, as we, as we learn to resolve conflicts within the body, as we contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Because that's what we were called to do. Amen? The world doesn't like truth. The world hates the truth. And unfortunately, somehow, we have allowed ourselves to have that same attitude. We've allowed the world to infect us, what we believe, what we will tolerate. To not speak the truth is not loving. 
You can love somebody straight to hell with that attitude. We need to speak the truth and love to those who are going astray, to call them back. That is not slander, and that is not judging. That is loving. So this new year, this new year, may you purpose in your heart to love one another enough to speak that truth in love. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again, humbled and grateful that we are your children, that you love and care for us. And Father, even when, we, even when we don't do it well, even when we seek to, to go our own way, even when we may be led astray, Father, you have loved us enough to put us into a body of believers who are there to be our brother and sister to, to help us as we, as we make this journey, as we progress in our progressive sanctification. You have surrounded us by, by those who can come alongside Father, I pray that you would help us to love one another enough to, to speak out that truth when we see a brother or sister struggling with something, that we would come alongside and, and help, help them to come back from it. Realizing that to not, doing that, to not do that is, is not loving them. Father, I just pray as, as, we, as we start this new year and as, as we Think about um, the words that we use. Our words can be very destructive to those around us. And so, so can be the words that we don't speak. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to speak up when we should. Father, that your spirit would lead us, that we would have the right heart and the attitude, that we would love one another enough to speak out when it is uncomfortable. Father, that our, our heart, our focus would be to, to restore them and to bring them back. Father, we just thank you for, for loving us and caring for us. Father, that you forgive us when we fail. Father, we look forward to how you will work this all out for your glory in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.